I'm Sam. And this is Gabe. And this is Coaster Wars. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Coaster Wars podcast, the only podcast where it tortures its hosts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what's going to happen today. We're going to torture people. To to be more specifically, we're sort of just torturing you. I'm just, I get to ask the question. Well, apparently I'm a glutton for punishment. I I I'm not gonna answer. <laughs> All right. So to kinda of explain what's going on in case no one knows, uh, this is our special episode. We're calling it Question Everything. And this is a quiz episode where I ask Gabe a ton of questions. And this is a, a no stupid questions kind of things. Uh, listeners can submit questions if they'd like to to our email, and I will throw them at Gabe, and he will answer them. And the caveat is that this is going to be just quizzing his knowledge. This is a no Google, no internet. He can't look anything up. He's just going to pull things out of nowhere, I guess. And you know what? Confidence is half the battle, and he'll try to pull his shit his way through this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I do have a saying that uh, if you can't impress them with your brilliance, baffle them with your bullshit. And I think that's about what's going to happen today. Oh, yeah. So um, why don't we get started with this? And as a shout out to our mom, because I'm pretty sure she is our only listener at this point. Um, we'll start <laughs> with her questions because she did submit some questions for us. And the first one, and I know this is really a, a Gabe quiz episode, but she, of course, had to ask both of us. She wants to know our bucket list coasters, our favorite park, and then a bucket list park, if we have them. So I'll let you go first. Okay. A bucket list coaster, like a specific coaster. I think, boy, there's a lot of them out there, especially over in Europe. Um, there's a couple over in... Saudi Arabia, there's a couple over in uh, over in Asia as well. So there's a lot to pick from. I think for this one, I'm actually going to go with um, one I've mentioned to you several times, and that's Hyperion. Uh, what Hyperion is, it's over in Europe. It's a 200-foot tall Intamin mega coaster. It's a hyper coaster, technically. Yeah. Uh, but it features a couple inversions. It's supposed to be kind of like a new version of what a hyper coaster can be. Also, it's from Intamin. And as you know, anything from Intamin is at least good. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have a lot of bad stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and that park in general is definitely a bucket list park. But the park I'm going to name does not exist yet. <laughs> um, they're currently building it over in Saudi Arabia. Oh, dang. Um, it's Six Flags. It's a Six Flags park, but I can't tell you what the actual name of it is. But it's where they're building that Falcon's Fury okay. roller coaster that's supposed to be like 600 feet tall. And, oh, my God. And, yeah, it's supposed to have the world's tallest freestanding roller coaster structure at like 500 feet. But then it has like a 600-foot drop off a cliff. And supposedly they're building it. Like there's pictures of it like halfway complete already. Um, I believe it's going to open in 2025 is when they're supposed to complete the park or it's either late 2024 or early 2025, but it's not just that coaster. So that's why I would call it my bucket list park just because they're going to have a GCI there. They're going to have a couple of Intamins. They're, they're building a full amusement park over in Saudi Arabia. And of course, since they're rich oil country, they can basically build whatever they want. 
And it's kind of be like a roller coaster enthusiast dream to go there. And obviously, like going to Saudi Arabia is not an easy thing. Yeah. So <laughs> I would call that my bucket list park, where Hyperion is a bucket list coaster because the rest of the coasters at that park are not something that I would consider bucket. There's a couple. Um, but I believe Hyperion is the only one that's actually at that park that I would consider a bucket list coaster. What was the third part? There was three parts. And then your favorite park that we've been to so far. Oh, the favorite park that I've been to. Cedar Point is up there. Cedar Point just has so many people, though. Oh. Yeah, they're Kings really Island. Popular. Kings Island is up there. You know what? I, I'm going to give this one to Dollywood. And the only reason I'm going to give it to Dollywood is because Dollywood is an overall park experience. It's not just about roller coasters. Mm -hmm. And the other reason I'm going to give my hat to it is because we went there during the Winterfest and that was absolutely spectacular. And that was one of the best experiences I've ever had at an amusement park. And it was busy. Like it was oh, busy. Like we were, so there was busy. a ton of people. And I still had a really great time there. We only really waited an incredibly long time for that that green, the dragons. Dragon what was flyer. it called? I think Dragonflyer. Yep. Yeah, and that was only because they were that was the only coaster running one train, and that's why we waited so long for it. <laughs> I just love where Dollywood is. I love the environment of Dollywood, and just. It's an overall park experience. It's not just about roller coasters. And I think that really put it over the top for me. Yeah. Dollywood is actually a really great park. And we said that before that um, we never enjoyed walking in between coasters so much in a park before. For me, so um, Bucket List Coaster. Now, this is going to really show how little I know about parks that are over in Europe and stuff. But the one that always comes to mind, and I think it's been around for a while now, but just it's, and I don't even know the name of it and I don't even know where it is, but it's the Tron Legacy roller coaster. And I think it might be in China. It's, but I'm not sure. And it's just. Um, they have a couple of them now. There's a couple different versions. I think there is one in California. Okay. There is one here in the U.S. I'm, I don't know if it's California or Florida. I could be wrong on that. But I believe there is one here in the U.S. But they have a couple different versions now. But the first one was, was overseas somewhere. I, yeah. I can tell you that much. And I think that's just, uh, that's where, like, my uh, love of theming comes in, because it just looks like a highly themed ride, but it also looked like a really unique ride experience, because it was one of those rides where the actual, like, uh, car that you sat in looked like one of the Tron bikes that you they rode in in the movies and stuff, and I think it was one of those things where I'd seen, like, commercials or videos of it online and it always just looked really cool and so that would be something really cool that i would like to check out in a roller coaster for bucket list park again i haven't really done a lot of reading into what is really overseas so actually you know what i could almost take gabe's direction on this and he's told me about a new universal park that they're building down in florida and what has me really intrigued is there's something like Mario World or something. And with the release of the new movie, that just sounds so cool. And, like, me and Gabe have grown up on Mario games. I mean, we've had 
Mario Karts on several different devices. We've had the N64 where we played MIDI games with our cousins in our aunt and uncle's basement. Like it has a major nostalgia factor. And I would hope that there's going to be some cool coasters there. But just besides the coasters, it just sounds really cool to be able to walk through like a life size Mario level. So that sounds really cool. Well, the biggest thing with that new park that, that you're talking about, Epic Universe, it's going to open, I want to say, 2025, but I could be wrong on that. They're focusing a lot more on theming at that park. And I, I know Universal's always focused on theming, but the whole point behind that park, the Epic Universe, is to compete with Disney. Okay. So you're going to see stuff geared more towards kids, you know, like Super Mario World and How to Train Your Dragon and all that stuff. But at the same time, there are building several roller coasters, including a dueling roller coaster there. Uh, that's supposed to be, I think it's an Intamin dueling coaster, which is intriguing. Uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to be a huge park. It's a huge investment for Universal. And everything's going to be new. That's the biggest thing about new parks is when you go in there, everything is new. Everything is different. Everything is something you probably haven't experienced before. And that's what, you know, is kind of the allure to go to these new parks. And then the other thing too is, you know, like for Great Adventure, they're building a new roller coaster. But if me and you go out to Great Adventure next summer, it's going to be one new roller coaster and then a bunch we've already ridden. Where when you go to a whole new park, it's at least you typically when they build an amusement park, it's five or six new roller coasters for you to experience. So yes, and then in terms of favorite park, I'm kind of gonna go a little bit in the same direction as Gabe, but I'm actually gonna pick Hershey Park. I think is my favorite park, and I think with that one, it's not only that it had a lot of really great roller coasters, a lot of really unique roller coasters. But it also, that was one thing Gabe mentioned is that like sometimes when you go to certain theme parks, you can really just feel the amount of people that are there. Hershey Park is big enough and it has a big enough area that I, when I went there, it was super freaking busy. Like I got there almost an hour ahead of time. Me and Gabe kind of discovered that by accident one time when we went to Great Adventure that it was actually not bad getting there super freaking early because you got to get um super close parking spot and all this jazz and i went to hershey park thinking oh this will be great and i didn't get a bad parking spot but i was not the only other person that thought getting there that early was going to be a good idea because holy bejesus was there a ton of freaking people but again because it's so spread out in hershey park and stuff and there are so many rides and whatnot and being hershey park there's a ton of restaurants all over the place and gift shops and it's also in a really nice, like, wooded area. That's the other problem with somewhere. I feel like um, Cedar Point is also really open, and it doesn't have a lot of coverage and stuff. And so you kind of bake in the sun, unless you're, like, purposely under an umbrella or something, where Hershey Park is very wooded and stuff. And so I didn't feel like I was roasting in the sun the entire time I was there. And I was there in August. So, um, and... I just, I really liked my time, actually, at Hershey Park, so I would pick that as my favorite. I definitely will say uh, Hershey Park probably has more roller coasters than Dollywood. Yes. 
more extreme roller coasters because Dollywood has, I think, nine total coasters. But I don't really consider, well, Lightning Rod, Thunderhead, um, Flying Eagle. I really only consider maybe four with Tennessee Tornado actual thrill coasters. Mm-hmm. And the rest are family coasters or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Where, you know, at Hershey Park, you got Skyrush, you got Candemonium, you got Fahrenheit, you got, uh, what's the launch coaster? Storm Runner. Storm Runner, you know, <laughs> you got a lot more coasters on the thrill side of things versus the family side of things. Yes. So. All right. So with that, after those questions, let's really get into some of the other ones that I've got queued up for Gabe. And first and foremost, I figure this would be a great place to start because it is the namesake of our podcast. And I know we've mentioned it in some previous episodes, but I thought this might give us a little bit better chance to go a little bit more in depth and really explain what this is. But Gabe, tell us what exactly was the Coaster Wars? Yeah, so the Coaster Wars you're looking at to basically, it's more amusement park focused than ride manufacturer focused. And basically what it was, each amusement park wanted to level up or best the next guy. You know that, you know, there's always that one person in a friend group that like if you, you know, ate 10 sandwiches, he ate 15. You know, if you went this fast, he went faster, you know. But that's kind of what the coasters wars were is this amusement park had a coaster that was 200 feet. Well, this coaster had a, or this amusement park had a coaster that was 210 feet and then you know, so like on and so forth. To interrupt real quick, cause this sounds like me and you as kids, because I remember this. <laughs> I would buy a laptop and then, you know what? Gabe had to go out and get himself a bigger one. So just going to put that out there that you might be that friend. <laughs> um, so basically, that's what it was. It all started, uh, everybody considers the first of the Coaster Wars Magnum XL 200. It was the first coaster full circuit to break 200 feet. Of course, it was at Cedar Point, because Cedar Point has to be the first at everything. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where everybody wanted to go bigger. And that's what the Coaster Wars are all about. It's not necessarily the best ride experience or the most innovative ride experience. It's bigger, faster, longer and taller. Those were the biggest records that people wanted to break. And it started with Magnum XL, and it kind of ended with Top Thrill Dragster and King Daka. Basically what happened in the early 2000s with those two coasters is, number one, they were extremely unreliable. Both coasters were. And number two, they were extremely expensive roller coasters. And basically what happened is the amusement parks kind of went, look, 400 feet is kind of the limit on what current engineering can do and current funding can do. Because if you're, you know, you're talking about coasters that costed 20 to $30 million, and that was back in 2002. You know, nowadays you're talking, you know, 40, 50 million for a roller coaster. And that's a huge investment for an amusement park. And they kind of all collectively agreed that said, that's kind of where we're going to stop for now. The other thing that kind of changed direction was actually Maverick at Cedar Point. So after Top Thrill and the issues that that roller coaster had, Cedar Point went back to Intamin and said, can you do like the exact opposite? 
<laughs> um, and instead of going, you know, 420 feet tall, they built a roller coaster that was only 100 feet tall, but featured LSMs and a lift hill, LSM lift hill, and some really cool transitions. And that's where you see the transition. I always tell people there's the, I call it, so you have the classics, and that's Arrow, Schwarzkopf, the 70s, the 80s, um, a little bit of intimate. Then I call what you have is the modern era. But the modern era, what I call it at least, is that's the coaster wars. So that's 1990s, you know, late 80s, early 90s, up until about 2005. And then after that, I have what you call the postmodern era. And that's the coasters that are being constructed in today. It's Maverick, you know, coasters like... Pantheon and co- and coasters down in Florida, like RMC, I would consider is a postmodern manufacturer because they didn't start constructing coasters till 2014. And really what it comes down to is it's not necessarily the biggest, the tallest and the fastest, but it's more geared towards the best experience possible. You know, more inversions, more wacky elements, more airtime, more um, G-forces, how far can we push, you know, the envelope of just creativeness? And that's really what the postmodern era is all about. So I w- that's what I'm saying, though, is like, uh, you know, Maverick kind of started the postmodern era in, what was that, 2007? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when they transitioned out of the Coaster Wars. Yeah, really, I think it's cool to see that like you said, instead of just going for the biggest and baddest thing out there, they're going for something more unique. Because as you see, even even if you are like over 200 feet, if you just do the same thing that other rides have, it really makes for a sort of boring experience and something that doesn't really top the list of roller coaster enthusiast lists anymore. So you got to start getting more creative and doing different things. And like you said, creating wacky inversions that create different forces and different mix of forces and really gives a great ride experience. So on to my second question, which is in a little bit different direction, but also sort of geared towards our podcast. But uh, how do you really like start if you're new to roller coasters? That's actually a really good question. <laughs> the biggest thing... I think for like a, are you talking about like a new roller coaster enthusiast? Like yeah, yeah, like because I like I personally like so just to give an example, how I got my start was literally you, and it was just like Gabe got so into this stuff and would start blabbing it at me, and as the loving older sister that I am, I just put on a smile and nodded my head and said mm-hmm, as he talked. But the next thing I know, I found that I was actually listening to him and like finding how interesting it was, these different companies and how they were designing these crazy things. And I personally, at the time, still loved riding roller coasters. And I just found myself so interested in the engineering and the themes and how they build these rides. And then as we got into this podcast, that's really kind of what started my research journey as I literally had a reason to research these things. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing is just just building a coaster credit count. And I, and I know that's difficult, especially, you know, if you don't have the finances to be able to do that, let's be honest here. Being a roller coaster enthusiast isn't cheap, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> between 
between travel costs and and tickets to the parks and you know to go to to go to Florida to go to the two parks in Florida Universal and Busch Gardens you're looking at over $250 just in ticket prices. So the biggest thing is finding a park that is close to you that is considered a major park. So places like Great America or Kings Island or Cedar Point or Great Adventure or Magic Mountain and just building your coaster count a little bit and then just figuring out uh, this is the biggest thing I tell every coaster enthusiast is obviously you're going to have coasters that rank high for everyone like Iron Gwazi and Steel Vengeance and Fury 325 but figure out what you really enjoy in coasters, you know, whether it's Intamin or a certain manufacturer or a certain coaster type like Hypers or Blitz coasters or inverted coasters and all that stuff. Figure out what you like and then just start branching out. And, it, you know, a building coaster enthusiast can do it in a year if you have the finances or sometimes it could take five years. You know, don't just because your coaster credit count is only like 35 coasters. Don't feel bad because sometimes it takes four or five or six years. I mean, it took us how long just to get over a hundred. That's the biggest thing is just kind of, you know, do your own thing. If you want to research coasters, go ahead. I mean, there's so many different avenues, roller coaster database. You can just Google coasters just to figure out, you know, on the research side of things, but just go out and ride coasters, dude. Like just go out and have some fun. Find people that you can go to amusement parks with. Now, for me and you, we have, we both enjoy it, so we're siblings. That worked out. Now, if you don't have siblings that enjoy coasters, if you don't have family that enjoys coasters, get into some coaster groups. Find some people in your local area that are coaster enthusiasts, and then kind of like what you were saying, learn from other people. Learn from people that are actually knowledgeable, though. Um, that's another thing, you know, <laughs> don't take advice from somebody that knows, has no idea what the fuck they're talking about, <laughs> but just, just find people that you can go to amusement parks with. But here's the other thing. You're not always as a coaster enthusiast. And now you know this, and I know this, you're not always going to be able to go with people. So you have to get comfortable with going to an amusement park by yourself. Now, if you're under 18, I highly recommend you don't do that but if you're an adult you're you're legal adult whatever you want to call it get comfortable with the thought of going to some of these parks by yourself because if you want to build your coaster credit at some point or another you're going to have to do that you're going to have to go to a park by yourself whether it is out of state or even in state so get comfortable with that and you know kind of push yourself out a little bit out of your comfort zone maybe you know, show up at a park, make some friends, and then you can still have a little bit more fun than just going by yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is YouTube. Follow YouTubers that you enjoy watching because you'll learn a lot about just the different coasters out there. A big one for me, and this is a shout out to them. They're not paying me to say this or anything. <laughs> Coaster Studios is awesome. I love those two. And they're very descriptive in how they describe coasters, especially Tyler, and he's awesome. They're both awesome together, but, like, he's the one that has a little bit more knowledge. And he's got over, I think, a 1,000 coaster credits now, which is insane. But he knows what he's talking about, and he describes coasters very well. El Toro Ryan, he's another great YouTuber. Go follow him. 
the biggest thing with him is he goes more on the technical side of things where he talks about the block zones and stuff. And he's got t-shirts and all that crap too. And it's hilarious. But those are two big ones that I watch. But even some of the local guys are, you know, some of the small YouTubers like me who only have like 30 some subscribers. If you enjoy their content, you can watch their stuff and you can learn about coasters and learn about what coasters you want to ride in the future. And, you know, like me and you, we have our bucket list coasters now that we want to go experience. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing is just plan trips. You know, if even if it's a year in advance or two years in advance, be like, I'm going to Cedar Point in 2025. And then make it a point to fulfill that goal and that trip, save up your money or do whatever you got to do to make that trip happen and just kind of go from there. But just at the end of the day, do your own thing and find people that you enjoy doing your own thing with. Yes. I can speak to the getting comfortable going to uh, parks on your own. I only very recently started doing this. And the first, my first one was Six Flags New England. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was as a single person, I often get paired up with other people or ask other people to pair up just to, you know, keep the line short and stuff. And I ended up meeting a group of three other people and we ended up spending the whole day together. And like, I literally just met them in line. We paired up for one ride. And the next thing I know, they're like, hey, do you want to just hang out with us for the rest of the day? I'm like, cool. And even when I went to Hershey Park, I didn't end up pairing up with just one person. But again, when I'm in line to like save seats and stuff, I end up asking people if I can ride with them or if they want to ride with me. And it's just, it's really kind of a really great way to just meet other people and say hi. And like in that case, I was someone who was from Wisconsin. So it was a great way to meet people in another state. And it really kind of, you get to enjoy riding roller coasters and being at a brand new park and stuff, but you also get to meet people, which is a really another fun part. Or, um, uh, really fun part at Hershey Park was, uh, Wildcats Revenge was my hundredth credit. And I saw a guy wearing an Iron Gwazi shirt. And so I was like, oh, and I had to ask him, I'm like, well, is Wildcats Revenge better or Iron Gwazi better? And so we kind of got to talking and he's like, oh, are you a roller coaster enthusiast? And I'm like, yeah, this is my hundredth credit today. Well, it was another person's hundredth uh, credit in line. And so we kind of like, oh, that's awesome. And we high fived and we rolled the coaster together and it was a really awesome moment. And I was like, I, again, didn't know these people. I just happened to meet them in line and it was a really fun time. So I highly recommend, it may seem really daunting at first, and if maybe it's like your first time going to a park, by all means, maybe do that with someone who knows what they're doing. But once you get comfortable enough going to parks, it is very easy to go to one by yourself. And you might think you look weird or something like that, but I promise you don't. And nobody's looking at you and you'll have a ton of fun anyways. All right. So <laughs> we're going to get into the ends of our time here. Um, let me oh, look. keep going. We'll, we'll make this a little bit longer. Okay. Yeah. This question is second question. Why don't and the and a lot of the next questions that I have start to get into the more technical side of things. This is going to kind of become a roller coaster one hundred and one, but I think that is okay because we've talked a lot about our feelings on coasters right now. So, <laughs> um, my next question is: What is the difference between a regular corkscrew and a zero g roll? Uh, oh, this is going to be a tough one to explain without pictures. <laughs> um, I guess the biggest difference is the zero-g roll features airtime. 
Okay. Where your corkscrew is mostly G-forces. Basically, the difference is the shaping of the element and... And like I said, the airtime. So the zero-G roll typically happens at the apex of like almost where you would see the peak of an airtime hill is where you're going to put a zero-G roll. Because the whole point behind a zero-G roll is to flip you up in zero-Gs, roll you over, and then send you back towards the ground. So it kind of happens as like an airtime hill moment, but just with a roll instead of just a normal airtime hill. Where a corkscrew is more of a traditional inversion and... Um, the biggest thing with corkscrews is you're going to see laterals. Where a zero-G roll, it's all about, you know, floater airtime. You don't get a ton of laterals in a zero-G roll. But in a corkscrew, it is half, half the forces you feel in a corkscrew are laterals. But you also get the positive Gs. I think that's the biggest difference is positive versus negative Gs. And then the laterals in the corkscrew. Um, and then just the shaping is a little bit different. Typically, a corkscrew has a bigger height difference between the bottom of the inversion and the top of the inversion, where zero-G roll is more of in a line instead of like, you know how corkscrew you go up, upside down, way up, and then you come back towards the ground all in one swift movement, where a zero-G roll is you pop up in a separate movement, you do the roll, and then you pop back towards the ground in a third separate movement. Okay, so in conjunction with this question then, what is a death dive? A death roll? Death roll. Uh, so, so a death roll is specific to Iron Gwazi. Um, it's a specific name to an inversion on that roller coaster. It's not a inversion that you can find on other roller coasters. Okay. And all it is is it is a barrel roll. So a inline roll, but it's pointed towards the ground. It's on a gradient or an incline, and it's not parallel to the ground. It's actually on the angle. Basically, what the death roll is on Iron Gwazi is is as you go through the element, you pick up speed. Oh. Where a traditional barrel roll is just all one speed. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And that's what... And that's what makes the one on Iron Gwazi so much more aggressive, especially in the back row, is because the train gains speed, but in the back row, you're the last seat to go through it. Mm-hmm. So that train has already gained its speed, and now you just go through the element all at one speed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's faster than what it's supposed to be. Yes. So, <laughs> at least it feels that way. Obviously, they designed it a certain way. But that's how it feels when you go through the element. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's specific to Iron Gwazi. That's just what they named that element. Okay, I see. That makes a lot of sense. Alrighty, so my next question, and it's funny that you mentioned Iron Gwazi, because this is one of the rides that you say that this has happened to you on, but what does it mean when you gray out, and what causes that? Okay, so graying out is what you see. It's a vision thing. So... And there's two, there's two types. There's a gray out and then there's a full blackout. And you experience both of these things at high positive G forces. Basically what it is, is it is the blood leaving your eyeballs in your head. Well, that's terrifying. To to think about it, it, it sounds, it sounds worse than it is. Uh, but basically what it is, is the blood rushing from your head to your feet. Because there are so much G-forces, your heart isn't strong enough to counteract the 
um, the G-forces that you're experiencing. A gray out is you'll see spots in your vision, but you can still see to some point. It might get blurry for some people, but typically what you'll see is you'll see little spots in your vision, and you might not be able to sense as much light, where a blackout is a full loss of vision. Now, here's the little thing about blackouts that people misconstrued is people think a blackout is like passing out. No. Now, that can happen if the G-forces are sustained long enough, but you'll never ride a coaster because that's considered unsafe at that point if you're going to pass out while riding it. What a blackout is is just a a complete loss of vision. So what that is is just you can't see it all. You just see black. That's why they call it a blackout. The one thing that I do like to mention, everybody experiences that differently. And the yes. reason is, is because it's based off of blood pressure. It's based off of the size of the person. It's based off of how healthy of a heart you have, how healthy your blood veins are, how you're going to experience a blackout or a gray out. The other thing is, is you can build a tolerance to it. So now, like, you know how the astronauts have to go through all this training Yep. To leave space, to leave Earth. Yep. Well, that's to build up a tolerance to it, to to literally make your body stronger and maybe your heart stronger. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's to build up a tolerance to it. So if you ride a ton of roller coasters regularly, especially a ton of extreme roller coasters, you can actually build up a tolerance to those forces. And, you know, you might ride Iron Gwazi and gray out the first time you ride it. But now you come back in five years and you're a veteran roller coaster enthusiast. Mm-hmm. You might not. Yeah. Because you build up a tolerance to it. A uh, perfect example of this would actually be Millennium Force. And that first pullout after the uh, initial drop. Gabe, do you, you gray out on that, right? Oh, yes. So the two coasters that I have personally grayed out on is the very first pullout on Iron Gwazi. And that first pullout on Millennium Force is an extreme G-Force moment. And I gray out on that every time I've ridden it. Yeah. And this is coming from somebody who does have a higher tolerance for G-Forces. I also have a very healthy heart. So, <laughs> uh, my uh, point with this I also is... have a giant head. Yeah. That's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> my point with this is, is on Millennium Force, I have a full blackout. But Gabe is right. It is not the same as passing out because I have all of my other senses when this happens besides my sight. It's literally just like um, I literally can't see anything for like the couple seconds in that pullout. And the instant we go out of that, I get my sight back. But at no point do I ever lose consciousness. I literally just can't see for a couple seconds. So, all right. My next question, and we've addressed this a couple times in a couple episodes but what is the difference between well maybe not this specifically what is the difference between a hybrid coaster and a traditional wooden roller coaster okay and now this is interesting because there is only one or two manufacturers that have ever made a hybrid coaster one is arrow the other is rmc so now arrow has made hybrid coasters in the past a great example of an arrow hybrid coaster would be gemini Basically, the definition of a hybrid coaster in this day and age is a wooden-supported steel track. Now, the biggest thing that to call it a hybrid coaster is over, I would say over 80% of the supports have to be wooden. 
Now, the reason I say that is, is because the newer RMCs will actually feel, feature steel supports underneath the track, as well as at the very top of the wooden structure they use steel supports. And that's just to handle the heavier forces that they are throwing their roller coaster trains through. But that's pretty much the definition of a hybrid coaster is wooden supports with a steel track. And now it also gets confusing because RMC makes hybrid coasters, but they also make fully wooden roller coasters, what they call the steel topper track wooden roller coaster. Two examples of those would be either Goliath at Six Flags Great America or Outlaw Run over at Silver Dollar City. Those are full wooden roller coasters. The difference being is the steel that you see does not make up all of the steel track or all of the track. Their track is actually wood surrounded by steel. So therefore they are still a full wooden roller coaster where a hybrid coaster, the track, the track is entirely made of steel. There is no wooded wood construction in the track. And that is the difference. Okay. So a hybrid coaster, full steel track with wooden supports. A really unique example of this, maybe too, would also be Lightning Rod at Dollywood because that coaster is in a unique situation where it started out as a fully wooden roller coaster and it was in the unique situation as well that it was a launch wooden roller coaster and due to wear and tear and uh, they replaced so much length of track where it ended up becoming a hybrid roller coaster and now unfortunately sadness to us all they are taking out the launch but it sounds like it's going to be uh an accelerated lift hill that's you're going to be going over the lift hill at the same speed as when it did launch because even though it was a launch up that hill you slowed down when you got to the top you weren't being like launched over this hill like 40 miles an hour because that kind of would have been crazy but uh that's just kind of a unique example of a coaster that's been both actually so yeah i do have another question yes um, that we were sent it got sent to me (laughs) best coaster company and now i think I think this is a, supposed to be an eject, objective question. Well, we can answer it both ways. What's your what's the best? And then what would you consider your favorite? Because I think the answer is different. I don't know that I'm knowledgeable to answer this question. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer it. The best roller coaster manufacturer is B&M. Okay. Now, the reason I say this, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for saying that B&M is the best. Because a lot of people are going to be like, what? No, no way. But this is what I mean by best versus favorite and the best roller coaster company in my opinion is a roller coaster company that creates a roller coaster that everyone loves okay and now the reason i say b&m is because here's the thing about roller coaster companies they have to build a roller coaster that both enthusiasts will love but also the general public a good example of this is intimidator 305 over at King's Dominion. Coaster enthusiasts absolutely rave about that roller coaster and say it's the most intense coaster on the planet and it's the best and you need to experience it. But the general public, also known as the GP, absolutely hates that coaster. They say it's too intense. It has really, really low ridership every year. And for a huge investment for an amusement park, let's say $30 million for a 300-foot tall coaster, 
It has to bring in ridership. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't do that, it's not a successful coaster, in my opinion. And in the name of the game, BNM does that best. Every coaster they build brings in ridership, brings in the general public, but also typically a roller coaster enthusiast will say it's a, at least a good roller coaster, especially like the inverts. And the couple of gigas that they've built, Fury 325, that's been voted best steel coaster for how many years now? So that's why I would say B&M is the best. Now, my favorite is RMC. I absolutely love RMCs. Even their low-tier RMCs like um, Iron Rattler, I absolutely have a blast on every time I ride them. Intamin is definitely up there. My problem with Intamin is... They're a little inconsistent at times. You know what I'm saying? Like, RMC is just greatness after greatness after greatness. I don't know how they keep doing it. But it's just like, every time I get an RMC, it's either really, really, really good or really, really great. Where Intamin has some, oh, that was all right, maybe even towards the bad. Where RMC, I, I've never ridden a bad RMC, ever. And that goes for every coaster. <laughs> Yeah, when talking about the best roller coaster company, I really agree that it it depends on what metrics you're trying to measure them by. Well, that's true. And if you want to say like if you want to say most innovative, I'd actually say Arrow. Okay. It, like if you think where Arrow started, mm. like we wouldn't have roller coasters in today's world without Arrow. So they were the most innovative. Intamin would win the award for maybe most creative or most out-of-the-box thinking. But when it comes to just the best overall roller coaster manufacturer, it's got to be B&M. I was going to say, you find B&Ms at like, every single park there is out there. There are usually multiple of them in the park. Like you said, they're always reliable rides. They're always good rides. They're great general public rides. They're great line eaters. They freaking eat through lines. And I mean, if we're talking about innovation, I know they're not like on the crazy side of things, but still in the beginning when they were first designing rides themselves, I mean, they're still at the forefront of roller coaster engineering because you have rides like, uh, um, they had the first invert ever and they have one of the rides that was cloned the most times ever. And you have things like their B&M Hypers, which, like, their first couple are really great rides. Rides that made Mining Games top 15s. And granted, they maybe have dulled a little bit in how good they are. They're still a lot of freaking fun. And as much as we try to talk about the best innovators, the best ride experience, what at its core riding roller coasters really is about is just having fun. And B&M really does do that very well. You almost always have a fun experience when you ride a B&M roller coaster. But on the other side of things, when it comes to favorite roller coaster company, I think I'm going to side with Gabe here and say that RMC really is my favorite. Uh, me and Gabe really have a soft spot for Woody's. And so, and I know they're technically hybrid coasters, but there's certain, just a certain level of character there. And like Gabe said, RMC... Visually... Oh, visually, oh, some of the RMCs out there are the most stunning visual roller coasters to see. Goliath is not, eh. But <laughs> coasters like Wildcats Revenge with the bright red track and the brown supports or the black supports and all that. 
coasters like Iron Glossy with the purple track and the brown support. But then you also got coasters like Air Force One where they use all steel supports mm-hmm. and it's white. It's like red, white, and blue, like America. Yes. <laughs> like just visually to look at RMCs are is one thing, but they also have great ride experience. The only knock that I have with RMC, and this is I have this knock with a lot of companies, <laughs> is restraints. <laughs> look, look at restraints aren't built for fat people. And I'm a fat person, like <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. So it's like, uh, uh, but RMC in particular has struggled on the restraint side of things, especially with their single rail design. Yeah. So that's probably my only knock on them. But I say that about Intamins. I say that about certain B&Ms. But the clamshell restraint B&M on their hypers and their gigas is the best restraint in the industry. Here's another question. Who has the best restraints? It's B&M with the clamshells. The looseness you feel with those restraints. It's basically the newest version of the buzz bar. But that's actually considered safe. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like it gives that same kind of feeling where you're gonna like fly out of this thing, you know? <laughs> so and for the general public, they probably don't like that. But for acoustic enthusiasts, it's like, uh, you know. <laughs> I like that. It's just like the same thing with American Eagle. You feel like the whole thing is gonna collapse underneath you as you ride down the track. It does not feel safe at all. No. And that's why we mean you love it so much because you. Oh it's, I, I tell people this all the time. It's the only roller coaster I've ever ridden where I actually feel like I'm gonna die. That's what so, makes it so much fun. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, people are like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah, you hear that a lot. So, all right. We got. We are going to kind of go over here. So if you got one more specific question that you have to ask me, now is the time to do it. Uh, okay, let me look. Oh, you know what? This would actually be a really good way to end this episode. So now that we've talked about different coasters and kind of like where we came from and all this stuff, where do you think roller coaster innovation is heading to? Heading to? Yeah. Where are we, what's like, what's out there? What's left for us to actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think in the future, there's two things you're going to be looking at. I think the top speed record is going to be going down in the near future. Here's the thing with, with, with roller coasters is we are kind of reaching a point where it's, that, that is a true question in the industry. Like, what more can we actually do with a roller coaster? I think what it's going to come down to is theming. Theming is number one. Onboard audio, special effects, stuff like that. I think you're going to see more of, but coasters like Hagrid's Motored Bike Adventure, just the amount of technology you know, two drop tracks, seven different launches, you know, multiple points where they slow you down and you interact with the environment around you, a backwards section. Really what it's going to come down to is just how much can we actually throw in a roller coaster? And then just, uh, I think I think the next three records people are going to be aiming to break are the speed record, the length of track record. And then they might start going after the height record again. I know, obviously, in Saudi Arabia, they're going, like, for 564 feet is going to be the world's tallest freestanding structure, which 
which that's just insane to me for me to think about. Obviously, we got to see if that thing actually opens or not before we start talking about those numbers. Because that's my biggest concern is they're going to build this roller coaster and realize it's not feasible to run. Yeah. And that's my biggest concern with it right now. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'll see it or I'll believe it when I see it actually running with with riders on it. Right. Because <laughs> that's the biggest question. Obviously, they've already gone under construction, but they haven't completed it yet. So we got to see it completed first. Then we have to see it complete test runs. And then we have to actually see riders on it before I'm going to be like, okay, this is a real thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think what it comes down to is just how many different things can we do to a roller coaster? Like drop tracks are the newest, biggest thing where you roll onto the track and it literally drops out from underneath you. Um, here's another cool thing. They're building a roller coaster down in Epic Universe. It's, it's supposed to be a minecart ride. Okay. But what they're doing with this roller coaster is they have a false track on top. And then they have a real track down below. So basically what it looks like is you, the track that you're riding on is actually fake. But you'll come around a corner and it'll be broken. And it'll literally look like you jumped like a section of track. Oh. Yeah. And, and it looks legit. Like they are hiding the real track really, really well in the pictures that I've seen from it. So it's going to be stuff like that, you know, creative things, you know, different inversions, like how many different inversions are there out there or different aspects that you can change or tweak? Or can we like, like, I think you'll, maybe you'll start seeing like vertical loops and corkscrews getting intertwined with each other. And they already have, but just, you know, how creative can a coaster become? And then just how much can we actually throw into one ride experience? You know what I'm saying? That's what Hagrid's was all about. You know, how much can we really throw into 4,000 feet of track? Like, let's see. Yeah. Backward sections are the newest thing. Triple launches. Um, I definitely think we're going towards like a launch coaster renaissance mm-hmm. with Coasters like Pantheon and Velocicoaster and Top Thrill 2 and stuff like that. So how many different things can we do with launches? I know Intamin wants to do a vertical launch where they launch you towards the air. Uh, maybe you'll start seeing acceleration down the hill, like a, a launch track as it's facing towards the ground. Who knows? You know. So I think that's really what you're going to see in the future is just how creative can we get? Um, a launch coaster renaissance, I think, is coming. And then just how much can we really pack into one ride experience? Oh, yeah. So I think it it seems like there isn't anywhere to go right now, but it's like when there isn't anywhere to go, someone comes along that just does something crazy and then everybody starts doing it. And I think something, too, that kind of points to that, and I know we hate them, but those SNS free spins, like when me and Gabe did that episode... It's like, we don't like them, but we kind of appreciate that they were trying to do something different. And I think that's what it takes is, and as much as me and Gabe hate them, obviously people must like them because they're popping up freaking everywhere. So I, like you said, it's just, we're, launch coasters are definitely becoming very, very popular. And like Gabe said, not even just like giant ones like, uh, Kanaka, but, multi-launch smaller coasters and more full ride experiences so i think the the future of roller coasters is very bright and we're going to see some really kind of crazy stuff start coming out well i think i think the other thing i'd like to add is the consistency to get over 400 feet 
Now there was there was two coasters that they built over 400 feet, and they just kind of gave up on the whole deal. So, like the coaster over in Saudi Arabia that we mentioned like three times now in this episode, if they are successful in building that roller coaster, and they are success- successful in building a reliable coaster to go over 500 feet, I think you're going to start to see more manufacturers try to go that route. RMC has talked about it with their T-Rex track that it can go over 500 feet. So the the whispers are in the industry. I think someone just has to do it successfully first. And, of course, it's going to be Intamin because it's Intamin. But <laughs> um, really what it comes down to is if they can successfully go over 500 feet, every other roller coaster manufacturer is going to start aiming for that. And I think what you're going to see more of is these massive, just gigantic coasters with four-minute ride experiences and 10,000 feet of track. The biggest thing is amusement parks have to be willing to invest. So that's where you're going to start to see, again, the issues is who really wants to pay for a coaster that big? Who has the land and property area to build a roller coaster that big? And whether or not they can actually do it reliably. Mm-hmm. And if that coaster is successful in Saudi Arabia, I think you will see more of them built. But I think you'll see it's going to be like maybe two in North America, one in Europe, you know, one in Saudi Arabia, one over in Asia, or two over in Asia. You're not going to see, you know, 50 of them, but you might see five, six, or seven of them that are just these massive roller coasters with insane top speeds and, and stuff like that. It just really pushing the envelope of what they can physically engineer, um, you know, and stuff like that. So that's definitely where we're going. Uh, I don't think there's a set road or, you know, it's not like we're going to go into Coaster Wars 2. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But just, you know, like I said, most innovative, most creative, and just what can we all pack into one ride experience? Yeah, with that, I think that's a really good way to end our first special episode. I think Gabe did a really good job of answering all my questions. I didn't really have anything too complicated to ask him. I thought about asking him what the first roller coaster was, but I don't know if he knows that. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Actually, I do. Well, the first, like, roller coaster of classics would have been the Matterhorn at uh, the original Disney World. That was the first coaster to use steel tubular track. Okay. That was an arrow. That was an arrow roller coaster as well. Yeah, of course it was. It's not the first roller coaster, obviously, but it's the first... It's the first one that was, like, actually at an amusement park. Yeah. Versus just, like, some random dude building a wooden roller coaster in the middle of a field, you know? (laughs) I would call that the first... Of, like, the classic eras. Yep. Coasters. And that was back in the 50s or 60s or whenever Walt Disney was building the original Disney World out in California. But I would consider that the first. Yeah, that really matters. Let's say, let's say that. That was the first one that really matters. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, when I looked into, like, how roller coasters kind of got their start and stuff, there wasn't any really, like, named, like, this was the first one. Because in the beginning, kind of what it was is uh it was very obviously a manual thing and it was like carts that they wheeled up to the top 
of a hill, basically, and people had to walk up to said top of the hill. You didn't get to ride up to the top of the hill. And then it was released on a very small portion of track. It was very, like, imagine the cheapest carnival ride you've ever seen kind of deal. And it was so funny because it was meant for, like, higher class people. And so, and of course, it just, you know, developed from there kind of thing, so... But, yeah, no, I think it was a really great first episode. We don't really have a schedule for these first episodes. It'd probably be just kind of like, oh, let's do a special episode kind of deal. But our next episode is going to be a fun one, especially with how Gabe ended this and saying that a launch coaster renaissance is coming, because it is the Battle of the Launch Coasters. Oh, that is going to be a good one. We have two obscure watch coasters with two really good ones oh yeah no actually i really liked the one that i rode and then doing research into it mine's kind of just this quirky little launch coaster it is it it is a weird one (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely it's definitely up there on the list of weird roller coasters oh yeah Um, i would definitely agree with that but two Two very unique coasters. Let's let's go with that. Two very unique coasters. Two very good ride experiences. Two extreme launch coasters. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, a, a launch coaster that actually, like, throws you into your seat and says, hang on. <laughs> um, so, definitely a good episode. I'm looking at some of our future episodes here. We're going to talk about our very first credits, the coasters that got us into the whole thing. We have most recent credits, most unique lift hills. Those are two very interesting coasters. Oh, yeah. Racing coasters. We went into the history books for that episode. Yes. But we went even deeper for our oldest coaster credits. That's going to be a good one. Oh, I am um, so excited to talk about that roller coaster. Yes. Bucket list coasters and non PM hypers. That was a hard one. <laughs> I did not realize. <laughs> well, okay. How many- We're trying to go through, and there's this ride that I really want to talk about. And I was like, well, what kind of episode do I design for this? And that was the only thing that came <laughs> to my mind. So. Yeah. Well, we do have an episode. We named it. A coaster you want to talk about but can't find a reason to? Yep. (laughs) That's going to be an entertaining episode. Our next special episode, and this is going to be a little bit down the road, we do have it scheduled as, I think it's episode 29 or something like that. Coasters that were surprising and coasters that were disappointed. So that'll be another long, hour-long episode, and that's going to be really interesting because both of us have some coasters that are very, very surprising to us. And um, I, I'm really excited about that episode, even though it's like way down the line. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then uh, one of our favorite episodes that we're going to talk about is the Nostalgia Factor episode that we have planned. That is going to be awesome. Yes. Those are two roller coasters that need to be talked about. And I can't wait for that episode. Yeah. So everybody, join us next week for the Battle of the Launch Coasters and, you know, in the future for the rest of our episodes. Yeah, that was a good laundry list there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see everybody next week.